Yeah, you can clap at that. Hey, good morning. How are you? want to welcome you to Meadowland Church. My name is Adam, and it's great to be with you here this morning. Hey, Rich, I got a little feedback coming from somewhere. I have no idea where, but um, I'm going to let you figure that out for me. Would you give Rich and our volunteers an applause this morning? We could not do what we do if we didn't have great people like you who serve. So, hey, my name is Adam, and it is great to be with you. Uh, for the last couple weeks, we've been in a series called Love marriage and the baby carriage and actually today we're going to wrap up the series talking about uh, being parents and what happens uh, in our lives when uh, we have children and for those of you that have children you know that it's a, a significant change that takes place in your life now before we, we jump into that I just ha- have just a couple things that I want to bounce off to you uh, real quick something to maybe file away and think about pray about uh, the, the first one was is um, over the last several weeks, we've had all kinds of things uh, going on ministry-wise, a lot of really significant good things, stuff that we want to celebrate and, and hold on to. On the other hand, um, been walking alongside people who have had really interesting, devastating, um, life-changing things uh, taking place in their lives. And one of the things I really felt like the Lord had put on my heart earlier this week in my own quiet time what was just the power and the need for prayer. So, so if you're one of those people that, that you like to pray, you're dedicated to praying, if you get excited about praying for other people, I would invite you to join our, our prayer team uh, here at Meadowland Church. Um, you could do that by just on your communication card, uh, filling that out and saying, hey, I'd love to get the prayer request that's coming each week and give us your email address. And then uh, you'll get added to our system. And each week we'll send you the prayer request. And uh, this is kind of the expectation, is that if you're on that list, that you would be praying. And, and I would encourage you also that maybe one of the ways that you could show people that you're praying for them is also by following up with them. And so maybe if you're a prayer warrior, uh, one of the things you could do is send a postcard to somebody, an email to somebody, stop by their house, uh, whatever. But we've got a, a lot of things going on. And in fact, uh, a lot of things that, that I think God is doing in people's lives, some things that, that are just um, confusing at this point. But um, I think what we're called to is prayer. And so uh, I would invite you to do that. We're also planning some prayer meetings. We're going to get back to um, some Sunday, I think, evening prayer meetings as this Sunday is our last 6 p.m. service for a time. And as those come out, we would love for you to be a part of those. But um, it is God's people called to pray with one another and for one another and for our world. And, and we would love to have you guys join us in doing that. Um, also, we've been trying to raise uh, some money, a significant amount of money. We've been trying to raise $5,000 as quickly as possible. And um, I, I have no idea where we are um, past the, the last update I got, but we're over halfway there, about $3,000. Uh, my hope is that we could get that next $2,000 as quickly as possible. Um, the rumor in the office was that if we could get the $5,000 this week, a Harlem Shake video would be made by our staff. Um, I'm not sure if I'm cool enough to do that. Now, some of you are shaking your head no. The reverse of that is if we could raise 10K, one would not be made. So I'm just saying, yeah, there's some incentive there. If you do not want to see a Harlem Shake video, 10K is all it'll take to keep that baby in the archives. So, um, but really, the, we joke about that, but what we're really trying to do is raise money to uh, increase um, our uh, efficiency and our effectiveness in doing some ministry uh, talking about increasing um, some of the environments we have here, trying to uh, make those a little bit nicer. So things like adding a stage and doing some lighting 
uh, moms talking about carpet in the nursery to really brighten that up and clean that up. I think I got an amen right quick there. Um, just some of that stuff that we really feel like as we move into the Good Friday Easter season, that, that there's just some stuff that we could do to this place that, that really does help us um, do ministry. And so that's the real heart behind this $5,000 that we're trying to raise. And you can plan for that and plan for that. And for those of you who already give, thank you so much for, for your generosity and helping support that. So let me pray for us, and we're going we're gonna to dive in. Uh, I, I still got some feedback going. Y'all hear that with me? I feel like I'm going to change fans a little bit. Um, it could be this monitor. I don't know if I turn it or, or maybe keep that. So let's pray, and maybe as we pray, the feedback will go away. Father God, we uh, come before you this morning. And God, we thank you for Jesus, because it's only because of him and it's only by his name that you're available to us, God. And so we come before you, as Scripture says, to be humbly and boldly approach your throne. God, I ask more than anything that you would show us today. God, I pray that your word would be preached in this place. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would understand your word this morning, God, that we would sense our need for you. God, that we would know that we are people who are desperately in need of a Savior who can set us free. God, I pray that you would call us to yourself. Lord, for those of us that may be here this morning and don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that awareness, that awakening, that we are people who need a Savior. God, that we've been called by you to return to you from home, to be saved by the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, I pray that would be undeniable in our lives this morning. God, for those of us that have already been saved by you, who already have our lives in you, I pray, God, that you would motivate us to continue to grow. God, that you would motivate us to continue to pursue you, that you would motivate us to surrender and be obedient to you, to worship you with our lives, that we would become more and more like you, God, that as we hear your word, that we would do what you say. God, I thank you that you've never called us to be perfect, but because of Jesus, you've made us perfect. God, that you never told us that we have to know everything or be scholars or experts, but you told us to trust in your knowledge and your understanding. So God, I pray in this church this morning that nothing would be done by man, but that first of all, our hearts would have the same abundance of faith that you have. Because God, we need, we need more than that. We need you. Uh, God, I specifically take a moment to pray for those who are going through significant, heart-wrenching things right now. Lord, for diagnosis like cancer. Lord, for those who heard words like possible um, treatment um, or things might go into remission. God, I pray that you would bring about healing. Lord, for those waiting back on tests right now, God, that no matter the test results, God, that you would draw close to them to know that you are sovereign and that you are good and that you're faithful. Lord, for those who just lost family unexpectedly, God, in the midst of grieving and pray that we as a church, we need one another. God, that we, we don't support one another and love one another. That we would laugh unless people are laughing and we would cry unless we were laughing. God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. 
This very well may be the longest and roughest intro to a sermon ever. Um, however, I do want to let you know next week um, we are starting a new series. Uh, it's called Broken. Um, it, it's been painful to write. It's been painful to think about. But we're going to study uh, really John chapter 11, the, the story of Lazarus dying and, and Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the grave. And there's all kinds of truths in there. That's going to lead us up to Easter. Uh, we've planned it just right that on Easter that just as Lazarus came back from the grave, Jesus came back from the grave, and it's all about him. And so we're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday. And so I would also tell you that if you're going through a significant struggle, if you know people who are going through significant struggles, uh, this would be that perfect series to invite them to as we really discover what does it mean to suffer, especially as a Christian. Okay, and what does it mean for us to follow Jesus, even when things don't make sense and things don't appear to be going our way? Okay, and who is Jesus really and what power does he have? And so I'm really looking forward to starting this series next week and would love for you to be a part of that. would love for you to share the word on that and invite as many people as you can. Pumped about this topic and pumped about Easter. But really excited about this morning because what we're talking about is being parents and, and parenting. And if you, if you are a parent, you understand that having kids is probably one of the biggest life-altering things that ever took place in your life, and this message is mainly to you. Um, I would say if you're grandparents, this works uh, really well for you as well, because what you can do is you can take the word child and just replace it with grandchild, and this would be true for you. I think grandparents have a really significant opportunity to walk along their grandchildren, to spiritually nurture them and shepherd them from a distance and, and up close. The nice part is that you get to leave at the end of the day. And so um, I've heard that grandchildren are a blessing uh, to grandparents for not killing their own kids. And so maybe that's true in, in your own life. But uh, what I want to do this morning is give you some truths right out of Scripture. And um, really what I'm going to call these truths this morning are principles. And here's why I'm going to call them principles. I am convinced that when it comes to parenting, there's both truth and application. Now, this is true for all, all kinds of things in life, but there's truth and there's application. I feel like my job or my responsibility, maybe the best stewardship of our time together this morning, would to talk to you about truth and then give you an opportunity to go home and apply it. I feel like if I spend all my time in the application realm, here's the problem. I might miss the target for you because here's what I believe. Okay, when it comes to parenting, I think parenting is really, really significant. I think parenting is really, really difficult. I think parenting is really, really awesome. I think parenting is one of the most rewarding, one of the most joyful, one of the greatest things that we get to do in our lives. But what I also know is that all of our children are different, and all of our families look different. And what if I do, if I sit here and just give us all application and say, you need to go home and do this, you, uh, you need to go home and do this, you need to go home and do this, I think you could very quickly come back and go, you don't know my family. Like, and you've never tried that. You've never seen nap time in my home. You don't know what it's like to have dinner with 12 kids. You don't have any, and you're like, I can relate to probably all of you. So what I'll do this morning is give you some truths and then give you the opportunity to wrestle through this truth and say, how does this truth or how does this principle work in my family? Because for me, I, I'm a parent. I have two young boys. I have a four-year-old who's going to be five in a couple weeks and a two-year-old. And I absolutely loved my kids. I thought parenting would be awesome. Uh, when Audrey was pregnant with Shane, I couldn't wait. I thought it was going to be great. I would tell you on this side of it, for those of you that are single or maybe in the process of, it's even better than I thought it was. 
it's, it's, it's even harder than I thought it would be. Um, I absolutely love it. And I think, I, I would just tell you this honestly, I think I'm a better person because of the joy and the responsibility and the weightiness of what it means to be a parent means. I think it's just made me a better person all around. And this morning I want to give you some truths. And my, my hope is to encourage you. And my hope is to free you. My hope is to challenge you with God's word this morning. And, and I, I want you to know I don't want you to just walk away and stuff this one in your Bible. Like I want you to go home and I want you to talk about this as, as a mom and a dad. I want you to go home and talk about this as a husband and a wife. I want you to go home and wrestle through this as grandparents. What does this mean and what does this look like and how do we apply this thing to our lives? Because I read scripture, I think scripture speaks pretty clearly on some truths that really influence and really inform the way we raise our children and the way that we should go about it. And the first thing that, that may be the most significant thing for your child's life and for my child's life is I believe, according to Scripture, that God has a plan for your child's life. Absolutely am convinced of that. I believe that as parents, one of the things we should understand is that God has a plan for our children's life. I think you see this in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, very clearly. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The God says, listen, I, I'm the sovereign one. I'm in control of things, and I'm the one that plans, and I'm the one that has a will. And here, here's what I want you to know. I have a plan for you. See, I believe this just as much about you as I do your children. I believe that God has a plan. But see, one of the things that's just interesting to me as I read this verse and as I think about this truth, parenting becomes really, really freeing. I find some freedom in this verse. I find some excitement in this verse because what it means as, as a parent is it's not my job to discover what my child is supposed to do with their life. Rather, parenting is a partnership between God and I to raise a child because he has a will and he has a purpose and he has a plan. Now, here's the thing. If you want to exercise this week, if you want to really dig through your Bible, what's significant is if you go through most Bible stories, you see that when God shows up and calls somebody to himself, he says, oh, yeah, by the way, this is always my plan. Like when he speaks to prophet Jeremiah, before you were ever born, I knew this. I would set you apart as my people. When John the Baptist is conceived, by the way, you know what he's going to do? He's just going to prepare the way of the Lord for Jesus. And you see this over and over and over again in Scripture where God says, hey, I want you to know that I have a plan for your life. I want you to know that I've given you some gifts. I've given you some skills. I've given you a personality. I've given you talents. I've put some stuff inside of you. And the reason I made you the way that I made you is because I have a plan for you. And it's a plan that would be for my glory. It's a plan that would be my will. But it's a plan that would also be for your good, for your benefit, and also the benefit of others. And see, I love that as I think about my own kids and I begin to think about your kids is how awesome is it that God has a plan for your child's life. That the creator of the world, when he created your child, said this child is significant, this child has value, this child has meaning. Simply because I created, simply because I'm the creator, simply because of the material I made. be for your welfare. I have a plan for you that would be for your good, a plan that would give you a hope and a plan that would be for 
actually love that because I, I think that means that God has a plan for us. I think that means that God has a plan for our children. And that means as a parent, one of the things that I'm really responsible for is partnering with God to discover who it is he's created this child to be. It's about me partnering with God and say, what gifts and talents and abilities have you given this child? And one of the main tasks in my life as a parent is to prepare my child, to help my child to discover God's love. Because I don't want him to miss it. I don't want him to miss out on God's will. And I get the pushback of, well, wait a minute, is it really possible to miss out on God's will? And I don't think so. And it's not possible. But I do think it's really possible to muddy up the process and make it a little bit more difficult. You're like, well, why do you think that? Well, just ask Joseph. You see, God told him to go to Nineveh, and what did Jonah say? No. See, God always knew he was going to get Jonah to Nineveh. He just had a plan B. It was a big fish. Because I'm asking you to go. I'm telling you to go. You can run, but you know where you're going to go? Nineveh. Why? Because I have a plan for your life. I set you apart to go to Nineveh, therefore you're going to go to Nineveh. And if I've got to get you on a ship and send a storm and have a fish swallow, you know where you're going to go? Nineveh. Why? Because I have a plan. You see, I think as a parent, one of my jobs in my child's life, one of your jobs in your child's life, or your child's child's life, if you're a, a young person, this is what your job will be when you become a parent. Is to prepare them to help them. In fact, I think that's what point number two really is, is that our job as parents is to lead, direct, and shape and shepherd our children. Now, this one is really, really significant. Because if it's true that God has a will for our children, if it's true that he has a plan for them, if it's true that he's gifted them, if he's given them personalities and he's wired them certain ways, then it means my responsibility as a parent is to lead, is to direct, and is to shape my children. But David says this in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 and 5. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. See, I love this. God's inspired word says, hey, one of the things I want you to understand about your children is that they are a gift. They're a heritage to you. They are what will be left behind. You will be known by the children you have and what they do. And he goes, listen, God's given you a gift in your children. They're a gift to you. And this is why this is so significant. They don't always feel that way, do they? Like, I know in my own life, when it's been like an hour, and we've been trying to get kids down for the night, and there's yelling, and there's screaming, and there's crying, and there's just kids not going to sleep, and mom and dad are tired, and we've been ready for bed. Like, this verse isn't the one that comes to mind. But like, look at our heritage, children. Look at God's gift to us. Kids don't always feel that way, but kids, it's because they always not only that, David goes on to say this. He says, our children are like arrows. They're like arrows. And I think David being a king, I think David being a man after God's own heart, David being a giant slaver, a, a general, I think he picks the term very, very intentionally. He says, kids are like an arrow. You're supposed to direct them and you're supposed to guide them. Like, you direct, you pull back, 
But sooner or later, the shooting arrow, you've got to let go. And then the arrow sails. And how you shape and how you direct and how you mold will have everything to do with how they hit the target. But an arrow is an arrow. David says, listen, they like an arrow. In fact, I, I took this verse so seriously that it says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. We bought a minivan with our quiver. Going to fill that thing up, then we're done. That's it. Once the minivan's full, our quiver's full, and we're done. Some of you just have bigger vans. And listen, God bless you for that. God bless you for that. Some of you have compacts. That's awesome. Whatever you want to do. David says, listen, children are a heritage. Okay, not only that, but we're to direct them and we're to guide them and we're to, to shape them. And, and here's the thing, and then sooner or later, at some point in our child's life, they leave. At some point, we let them go. At some point, we point them to the target, 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 and we let them go. You see, when I combine these two principles together, it looks something like this, and I'm going to help you. I hope it looks something like this today. Because that if God has a plan for your child, if God has gifted them, if he has wired them, if he's given them a personality, if he's done all those things, it means that when it comes to parenting, I don't think any two parents should really look alike. Because if your job is to shepherd and mold your child, and if my job is to shepherd and mold my child, you know what, that's probably going to look different on some level. Because God may have given your child gifts that he didn't give to my child. If my, God may have given my child personality traits that he didn't give to your child. And what that means is when it comes to the parenting journey, I want you to find freedom in this, is you have to do what works for your children, not necessarily what's popular. Not necessarily what the loudest person in the room thinks is funny. Not necessarily what was on the cover of Parenting Magazine today. See, some of you have multiple kids, and you discovered that right away. What worked for the first child didn't work for the second child. And what worked for the second child didn't necessarily work for the third child. And some of you are like, hey, we had a fourth child, and what worked with the fourth child was what worked with the first child. So now that we got two that that kind of worked for, but then we had a fifth child, and this is a whole new ball game. You see, what I, I want to give you permission, what I want to give you freedom, what I want to give you some insight on is that I think you need to figure out what works best for each child that you have. What does it look like to encourage them? What does it look like to discipline them? What does it look like to teach them? See, whatever that is for that child, that's what you do. And listen, I, I, I don't care if you look like Tom Brady. I don't care if you have 10 children. I don't know if they should be doing that. So listen, this is what I would tell you. The next time a parent says to you, I don't think you should be doing that, just go, here, I'll see you in a week. Heck, well, I'm going on vacation. No, no, no number. Just treat them like their own. And they come back at the end of the week and go, told you so. Been there, done that. Tried that. See, see, that's the thing. Like, kids, this is, if there's kids in the room, here, here's what you have to know. See, you think your parents are weird, and here's what I tell you. They weren't that way until you came along. You did that to them. You see, see all the parents are laughing because they're like, yes. But as a parent, as a mom and dad, here, here's, here's what you have to know. That I think part of parenting is a journey to discover who is it that God's given me in this child. Like, what has he created them to be? What kind of gifts, what kind of personalities, what kind of traits, what kind of things has he given to this child? And once I begin to discover who God, the creator of all things, has put together on this child, who he has a will for, who he has a purpose for, who he has a plan for, 
how do I know as the person who has received this gift, who's responsible for this gift, how do I steward that? How do I raise that? How do I teach that? How do I care for that? You see, you, just like I, might be surprised by who God has given in our church. And you see that all throughout Scripture. See, the nation of Israel always wanted a king, and like God kept telling them, you don't necessarily need a king because I'm your king. And they said, no, God, we really want a king. And he said, no, no, I'll be your king. Like, follow me. I'll give you my word. Do what I say. Do what I say. We'll be fine. You know, but every other nation has a real king, God. And we just think if we had a king, we, we'd be better off. And so God says, you really don't want a king. And they said, no, no, we really want a king. And God said, I'll just give you what you ask for, but it's not going to come until you bow. And all through Israel's history, they have bad king after bad king, and then that king had a kid who turned into a worse king. And like, here's the thing, at one point they were looking for a king, right? They're looking for a king, and there's a certain mom and dad, prophets like us, who said, hey, we're looking for a new king, and God has led us to your family, and we think the king might be here in your family. And mom and dad call him the challenger for the lot. The oldest, the strongest, the best, the brightest. Probably not. I don't think it's any of these. We can't have any of these. So they got the youngest, but he's in the deal, too. He had more influence than them. Probably not. Anyway, God led you to here, and he said, no, 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 your kid is going to live here, and he'll be the baby because God took a king back to Israel, a son. Now, do you think David's mom and dad went to bed at night being like, yeah, that one's going to be king. That one's going to be king. Like, see, all of us think, hey, maybe he'll be a doctor, maybe be an astronaut, maybe he'll do this or that. But, like, you ever think they went to bed at night going, King of Israel right there, come for me? No, because when God showed up, he said, hey, by the way, I created David. I created him with purpose, and I have a plan, and I wired him, and I gave him gifts and talents and abilities. And I have a plan that would be for my glory and for his good and for the benefit of those around him. Like, mom and dad, like, no, no, that thing's coming in his own family. God has a plan for your family. He created them with purpose. And our job is to shape them and to mold them and to help them to become the best version of themselves that they can be. That they can be healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually. And, and whether you're, you're here, maybe you're just investigating this thing, maybe you're not convinced about Christianity, I would say you should still maybe try this out because maybe it would work for you. Maybe it would be best for you, but I think that would lead us to some really intentional things. Like, I think you should pray for your kids. Like, if it's true that God has a will for your kids, I think you should pray for that. To pray that God's will would be crystal clear. And, and to pray that your kid would understand who God's voice is and what God's voice sounds like. So when he shows up, he says, hey, I'm leading you. Hey, I'm choosing you. Hey, I want you here. And don't push them. At least that they don't muddy your life. At least they don't resist immediately following your lead. And see, I don't think you should just pray for your kids. I think you should pray with your kids. To spend the time saying, listen, I want to teach you what it means to pray. I want you to teach you what it looks like to spend time before a holy God. I want to teach you that prayer is a two-way conversation. It's not just about me rattling off all the things I want, but it's about being still before the Lord. 
See, I think if God has a will for our children's lives, then one of the things we should do is we should teach them the stories of the Bible. So by stories, I'm not diminishing that it's truth. I'm not diminishing that it's scripture. But as I see Jesus, who I think is the best teacher to live, you know what he told a lot of? Stories. Call them parables. You see, I can teach my sons the story of David and Goliath. Now let me tell you a story that's led from God. And right now it might not be anything more than a story, but one day it'll be more than that. Because what Scripture testifies about itself is that God's word never turns back and it never isn't it crazy that just before he thought he was going to raise Jesus to life and God said, hey, I'm going to make you a king? Isn't it interesting there's this little boy named Jeremiah and God says, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to be a prophet consecrated to me for eternity. If you go to verses in Ephesians where God says things like, I knew you before I laid the foundations of the world. Sometimes we're like, well, I need to go deeper. Understand that. That before God created beyond those stories, then one day you want to teach your children how to read God's word for themselves. So that they can become people who hear God's word and do God's word. So that they can be people who can open up their word and stand before God and say, God, I'm here today. I want to hear your voice. I'm going to spend time in your word and I'm going to give my life to you fully for I need to understand who you are. intimidate them for the first 18 years of their life. Just don't expect to see them for the next 20 years of their life. What you want your kids to do is model your life. I think one of the biggest dangers in the church today is that we have people trying to teach their children things they think are good that they do not think one of the biggest dangers we have in the church today is we have people trying to teach their children things they think are good that they do not actually believe. What I mean by that is I see a lot of times in the world, and we get the calls all the time, and if you've ever made this call, I don't necessarily implore you to make that call. But we get the calls and people are like, we need a program for kids to memorize scripture.
we'll, we'll get to push back and say, well, I think the church needs 200 acres. I think that's so great, and I think that's so wonderful, but here's the deal. If you want your church big, then you have to be intentional. Your kids will play basketball. Your kids will read the Bible as much as you read your Bible. Your kids will serve as much as you serve. Your kids will be as generous as you are generous. But you must get them want your kids to live for Jesus, then don't you dare play a sport that they play in their life. Because I think one of the greatest dangers we face is there are people who are trying to teach their children to be good, but they do not teach them to be good. And so how do you know that they don't believe in Jesus? Because the Bible says nothing of the world, but we're doers of the world. So we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith alone, but faith without works is dead. Not good. Dead. See, this is where we want to get cultural. In no way, shape, or form am I diminishing scripture, in no way, shape, or form am I saying it's not important. But I think we've got it wrong. See, I think we approach our children with say, well, the Bible says And the Bible says you should do this, and the Bible says you should do that, and the Bible says this. And you know what our kids' reaction at some point? I just get a small verse in the Bible and I have to do it. Like there's an easy solution for the Bible always says, but I just need to look the Bible up. I just don't go to the place of secret. And then I won't have to do what the Bible says. But you know what I think is better? See, I think better than our kids growing up and always referring to the Bible says, and I think here and there they are, I'm not opposed to it, get them. Where they say the Bible says, I think it would be better if they said, you know what? The Bible says, but man, Jeff always always You know, the Bible talks about being generous, but man, I saw Jeff every time there was a problem. He helped. You know, the Bible says, but you know what? Mom, she always works. See, the Bible says that we're supposed to have hospitality. The, the, the Bible says that we see someone thirsty, we should give them a cold glass of water. You know the thing about mom? No kid went hungry in our neighborhood. See, the Bible says that mom always gives. See, the Bible says we're supposed to help people. You know the thing about dad? See, if he ever saw someone broken down on the side of the road, he stopped, he helped, he made a phone call, he cleaned that car and stuff. Because the Bible says that dad, he always works. And the Bible says that mom, she always provides. And the Bible says that grandma and grandpa, man, kids grow up and they just say, I have never done that. You know what the book of Psalm of the Old Testament tells me that we're one of the most generous people on the planet. But I'll never forget the time we sold our house and moved because mom and dad said we're going to this house in Oregon. That was nuts. But I'll never forget the time dad cooked for us. I'll never forget the time mom had that conversation with us. I'll never forget their boldness to never back down from their faith. I'll never forget the way they loved everyone, even to the enemy. 
forget that even when mom and dad disagree, somehow they honor one another. Somehow they respect one another. I'll never forget that dad never cut his hands with his own hands. I'll never forget that mom always kept her skating shoes in her pocket. See, I think parents can actually mold us like kids and shape us like kids. And I think it has to do with our feelings. I think it has to do with our attitude. I think it has to do with our this scripture verse isn't on your screen because I just thought of it this morning when I was praying through it, but I'm just going to read it for you and you'll kind of look it up. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. And that'll be helpful. I lost it again. Oh, here we go. Starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Watch this. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. See, there's not a period there, it's a comma. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the reason Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9 is so significant is God gives a command, love me more than you love anything. He says, and by the way, if you have children, teach them to love me more than anything else. And, and he gives the commandment, teach them. He goes, but teach them by doing. Teach them by what do you talk about? Teach them about what do you do when you're sitting? What do you do when you're just hanging out? What do you do when you're at the grocery store? And what do you do on the way to the grocery store, on the way home from the grocery store? What happens in your home? He goes, teach them. Teach them by showing them. Teach them by modeling their love. Teach them by being a Christian. Teach them without always saying the Bible says. Teach them by being the greatest they could say, if I just lived like that, if I just lived like I could be the greatest thing ever. I could be the greatest Christian ever. I could be the greatest Christian. See, at Meadowland Church, we believe that Christ is a king. We believe no one should walk away from Christ. I believe that your spiritual journey is significant, important. None of us are perfect, thank God. So if you're new or visiting and you're looking for a perfect pastor, it was great to meet you this week. I am not him. And I probably never will be. See, this isn't a message about be the perfect parent. This isn't the message about be holier than thou art holy. But it's a message to slow down and think about what are you doing in your life? What are you doing in your parenting What takes place in your life? And here's what I want you to know this morning. You are the main influence in your child's life. Grandparents, I think you're their exception. I think grandparents have a significant ability to speak truth and to love and to support 
and mom and dad. I know growing up, I had grandmothers because my grandfather passed away. And like, you just didn't mess with what grandma said. If grandma said it, it must have been true. And if grandma said, hey, you better listen to your mom, you know what I did? I listened to my mom. Because you know who I was scared of more than my mom? My grandma. Like, what if she stopped? Like, what if she stopped giving me all those gifts? Like, what if she stopped cooking her favorite meals? Like, what if she stopped hugging me? Because nobody hugs like that anymore. See, this parent can't hug like that. Can we listen to Jesus? He said, parents, you are the main influencer in your child's life. And the reason I hit on that, you are the main influencer in your child's life, it doesn't have to be true. See, you feel like you're always losing ground. You feel like the friend, and you feel like this, and you feel like that, and you feel like them, and you feel like those have more influence. But here's the thing. You are the main influencer in your child's life. Even when it's a lie. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I promise you, at some point, maybe not today, that your children will do what you do. Your children will do what you do. Trust me. And see, as a parent, I think you go, really? That, but that's more stories. I've had some stuff sprinkled a little more. Maybe it's not today. But see, you actually deep down know this to be true. Because what's true of all of us parents is when we became parents, you had this conversation in your head. And you said, I'm just not going to do certain things that my parents did because they were embarrassing. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. Like, I told myself that. Like, I told myself when I have kids, I will never lick a thumb and wipe something off my child's face. It's gross. It's weird. And no one ever enjoys that. Hey, I'm a king of Smith. Still get it. My dad had nicknames for us. I don't talk about this often. This is a, a very vulnerable moment for me. My middle name is Troy, so my name's Adam Troy Reardon. Okay, I don't know why I do not like the name Troy. If it's your name, that's awesome. I just never, I never owned my middle name. I felt like it could have been something better or cooler. I don't know. Troy's just not my thing. When we were, knew we were having boys, Audrey's like, we should use your middle name. I'm like, no. We will not use Troy. Thaddeus, maybe. Troy, no. Now, here's the thing. My parents, especially my dad, till this day, will call me A.T. That's his nickname for me. Hey, A.T. Cousin of E.T.? I don't know. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I remember thinking, when I have kids, I will not make weird nicknames for my children. Because it's weird, and in public, they won't like it one day. And it will embarrass them. And the problem is, is it will become such a habit for me, is one day when they're older, I'll just say it, and they'll be like, Dad. I rarely call my kids weird. And so you know what? You know what's true for you? You did the exact same thing. See, at some point, you went, I'll never do it like Dad did it. I'll never do it like Mom did it. And in that moment in your life when you didn't know what else to do, what did you do? Do it like Dad did it. Do it like mom does it. 
Mike, is some of these, you've got something as simple as recipes that have got to be done this way because that's the way mom did it. You guys that are builders, you build it the way that dad showed you how because dad knew best. And I'm just telling you, sooner or later, your kids will do what you do. And I'm just telling you, your parents, they're going to listen to this message online and laugh saying, go, yep, because you do what they did. And it's not always something you think about. Sometimes it's just what you've seen. It's just what you saw. It's just what you heard. It's just what you were raised with. And in those moments that you're not exactly sure what to do, and in those moments when it's been so ingrained in you, just by default, you do what your parents did. And I'm just telling you, sooner or later, your kids will do what you do. So that means that we need to be intentional. It means that we need to think about what we do. Because sooner or later, they'll do it. Like some of my most simplest advice would be to you would be husbands and wives, do not trade in your husband and wife card for a house in the future. Because you are a husband and a wife now. And one day, your kids will leave you. I don't think any of you have done it for a 35-year-old son living in your basement with all his shoes. One day they'll leave you still be here. Like one of the greatest things, dads, that you can do for your sons is show them how a man truly loves them. What it looks like to be humble and servant-hearted. What it looks like to be loving. Dads, one of the greatest things you can do for your daughters is love your wife well. That you would raise your daughter in an environment where she sees what it looks like for a man to honor a woman, that she's raised in an environment where it looks like for a man to care for a woman, to be tender and yet stern, to be more powerful and yet the most humble, to be seen, just to be shown so much love and so much care and so much generosity that one day, and one day will come when a guy comes around who doesn't do that thing, the things that you've done, it will be so weird for them. They're like, man, I've, I've never seen a guy with a woman. I've never not had a guy chase a woman. I've never not had a guy treat me a certain way because that's my brother. That's how my brother treats me. And it's just maybe maybe this year this is maybe that's just how it's gonna be. Guys, I saw a stat this week that scared me and I thought I would share it with you because it's so simple. That in America today, the average man spends thirty seconds alone average in America, the average dad spends 30 seconds alone. Doesn't take much. Guys, I want to show you real quick in scripture what I think is maybe some of the worst parenting ever. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, actually it's only going to take us a couple verses, 1 and 2. We're going to have those scriptures up on, on the screen for us. Now here's what I would tell you. Especially as we read the Old Testament, we have to think about what would the perspective of the average Hebrew or Israelite be, okay? Because that's who's reading this stuff. That, that's who this stuff is written for. 
The reason the Old Testament is sometimes difficult for us is because we have to do some heavy lifting to understand it. And I'm going to try to do that for you quickly this morning. But it says this in Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled. Now this is important. Before there were kings, there were judges. Guys who did God's will, sought and led over God's land. Uh, You could not make a movie of a judge without it being R-rated. Because they were judges. And they came out with swords. And if you messed with them, you didn't live very long. So the judges ruled, and there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Sojourn means travel, go on a journey. He and his wife, and those are two sons. The name of the man was Amalek, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Milan and Chilion. They were uh, Africites from Bethlehem in Judea, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, to you, you didn't see anything significant. But to the the first listeners of this scripture, this is kind of like a scary movie where the bad guy is outside, he's made himself known, and the telephone rings, and he says something scary into the telephone, and for whatever reason, there's like a college-age girl, and she's like, oh my gosh, I think the bad guy's outside. I'm going to go check it out. And you're watching this thing and you're going, don't go. Don't go. I mean, this is kind of like Luke Skywalker approaching Darth Vader and you're like, don't do it. Don't do it. You're in the Death Star. It's not going to turn out well. And he's like, Luke, I'm your father. And he's like, dad. And then he's going he's gonna to hit you and he's going to get you. Like we see this. Now, this is why this is so significantly different between the way we see it and the way the first people would have seen it. The reason is, Scripture says, that they left Bethlehem to go to Moab, and it said it was due to famine. Okay, so now it doesn't tell us how bad of a famine, doesn't say how bad things are, but it says there's a famine. Now here's the thing. The name Bethlehem literally translates the house of bread. So listen, if there's a famine, where do you want to be? The house of bread. I mean, there's no better place to be in the middle of a famine. The house of bread. So it says, this guy decides, hey, family, listen, there's a famine coming. You know where we're going to leave? The house of bread. Where are we going? To a place not named the house of bread. Okay? And and the question I would ask you off of this is this. What direction are you setting Jesus in? Like, what direction are you taking him? What direction are you leading him? Because as a parent, you are always approving or disapproving. You are always affirming or denying. With your time, your talents, and your treasures, what direction are you setting him? Which way are you taking him? What are you approving? What are you denying? What are you saying is okay with your family? What's not okay? What direction are you leading him? Because here's the thing. Every single one of us is going home. Home. Every single one of us is heading into the unknown. The question is, what's home? And here's what I want you to know. I know it doesn't always feel like this. What you do matters. And the direction you set is so important. Now, here's the other thing that would stick out to people as they saw Ruth chapter 1. 
because I joke all the time when, when ladies are pregnant that Adam would be a really great name. You should pick Bible names. And I just like to teach you this. You should not pick these names. Okay? You should not. For a very interesting reason. The name Milan literally means sickness. The name Chilion means wasting away. Now, I have no idea, no idea. Like, I just don't know how, what should we name that one? That one's sick and dying, and that one's just sick. Okay, let's, let's, sick and dying, sick. You agree? You agree? Sign up? Okay, let's sign up on those things. Now, here's the thing, right? So you're hearing the story. You're hearing the, the scripture. Because there's a famine in the land. They're leaving the house of bread. Mom and dad, along with sickness and wasting away, are going on a journey. Anybody think that one's going well? Like, anybody want to sign up to tag along? No. And and here's the two principles. The direction you set is important. And what you say to your children is important. In fact, I would ask you this question. Are you speaking blessings or curses over your children? Are you speaking blessings or curses over your children? Because your words dad and you know this from your own your own experience as a child mom and dad come from nurturing is that a careless hurtful word from mom and dad or you still might be a kind If you say it long enough, I think your kids will eventually catch on. See, I think the way you say things, the tone you use, the frequency, your body language, I think if you say it enough, your kids will catch on. If you tell your kids you love them enough, one day they'll just know that. If you tell them that God created them with a purpose long enough, one day I think they'll know that God created them with a purpose and they'll want to keep that purpose. Your words matter. And what you say is important. Ruth chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpha, not Oprah, because there's a relative. And the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years. And both Milan, sickness, and Chilion, wasting away, died. So the woman was left without her two sons. I just tell you that Elimelech got exactly what he wanted. The direction he set for his family led to death, and the names became Ruth. And I just ask you, what direction are you setting? And are you speaking curses? Or are you speaking blessings? Because Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this, for death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What kind of tone do you use with your family? What kind of words do you use with your children? And what kind of names?
Jesus left, they leave their possessions. Sooner or later, the words that you speak, they will be remembered. Sooner or later, the things that you do, they will be remembered. Because you are a greater influence than the possessions that you have. God has created your children as gifts. He's given them to you as a heritage. God has gifted them. He's wired them. He's given a personality to them. And I think he's got a glorious blessing for those children. As a parent, your job is to guide them, to shepherd them, to help them. And for whatever reason, God, by his cosmic plan, his infinite wisdom, decided that you were the one to guide your children in this way. That you were the right person to step in. That you would figure it out, and you would know, and you would discover, and you would be the one to help. Because he strategically picked you to be the one to raise them up. The last point is you don't have to be perfect. We have a church that loves you and cares for you, and our children cares for you here. Isn't here to do the work for you, but to walk alongside you as that happens. And here's what I want you to do. Let me just say one thing to you. God, we come before you this morning, and we do thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you speak to us. God, I pray that even in the next few moments as we just respond to you by worshiping you for who you are, God, as we just publicly proclaim our need for you, God, that you are the light in our lives. God, that you are the truth. That you are our one true hope. That you and you alone God, I pray that we would leave here this morning responding to your word. God, that we would wrestle through and figure out how in the world do I do this? How do I do this as a husband? How do I do this as a wife? How do I do this as a grandparent? Even today as a single person who maybe wants to have kids, how do I think of these things? How do I be intentional about doing these things in my life? God, we thank you for the gift of children. God, we thank you that this whole thing was your idea, that you created man and you created woman and said, I want you to be in a love relationship to Bessie's heart. I want you to know one another. And I want you to love one another and stay married till the day that you die. And that it was something that would be beneficial and loving. It was something that would be passionate and worthy whole thing is your design. This whole thing is your plan. And God, I'm convinced more than ever that what we need is more of you. God, that we need your word, that we need your strength, that we need your power. God, that we need you. And scripture says that we see you best in Jesus, who is the exact representation of you. So God, I pray that right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us more of you.
Father, maybe there's somebody here who doesn't know you, and right now they understand that what they need is you because of their sin. That because of their sin, they're separated from you. Because of their sin, they live in shame. But because of your life and because of your death and because of your resurrection, they might be forgiven and free and filled with your spirit and given strength. But God, only you can do that. So I beg you, God, to call people to your side. And God, I believe I, with every other parent and every other grandparent in the room, is more convinced that, God, I need your power. I need your leading. I need your guidance. God, help us to be followers of you. And that as we follow you, help us to be shepherds and examples and models for our children. That they would see it. They would understand it. That they would respond to you and your call on their lives. God, help us to take one small step at a time. Trusting one day they will do what we say. And that the direction we set and the words that we speak will influence their lives. But more than just talking about it, we actually live it and do it well. Jesus, make that happen. Fill us with your spirit. Speak to us. Even in the next few moments, speak into our hearts. May we respond to you in a way that you can worship you, honor you, thank you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Take a moment to reflect and then the ushers will come forward for the offering. desire is you 